Acts chapter chapter 15, 15, we'll be reading 12 through 29. Acts 15, verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek all the Lord, may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Quote, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Let us pray. We ask, Lord, that you might speak to us this morning. Help us to be faithful to you in what we learn here this day. Help us apply truths that are here that we may continue to walk with our Lord and Savior. It is for his glory we pray. Amen. What we have been looking at, and I've kind of tried to avoid talking about it this way because there have been so many people who have talked about it this way, Since we are Presbyterians, we usually go to this text in Acts chapter 15 and call it the First General Assembly of the First Presbyterian Church of Jerusalem. 
If we were Southern Baptists, it would be the first Southern Baptist Convention of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. If it were Methodist, they would have the same kind of idea. But this is the first early convention, a gathering, a focus, in order that they might settle a disagreement or a dispute to correct a path that was being pulled out of alignment due to error. The error being that some people, some men, some leaders came down from Judea near Jerusalem to Antioch trying to convince the new church plant at Antioch that if, since they are Gentiles, they had to follow the law of Moses if they were going to be true followers of Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, that's not true. That's not right. That's, that's incorrect. That is theological error. And they debated these men at Antioch and said, we're going to go back up to Jerusalem and call a gathering of all of the church leaders and we're going to settle this. So in Acts chapter 15, we see this going on. They listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, y'all remember Simeon, the Gentile Roman captain, leader, who was saved, who, was, who welcomed Peter into his home. When the Holy, and Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit came and anointed them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Here he quotes the prophet Amos. After this I will return and will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Amos 9, 11, and 12, is, this is where this is from. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild, rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and that all nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. They were understanding that everything that were, they were seeing coming through the power of the Holy Spirit, delivered to us by Christ Jesus and his sacrifice and his cleansing and his resurrection, was to release Israel from a requirement of keeping the specific details of every little cultural requirement, delivering them from the bondage of sin, letting them find mercy and grace in Christ Jesus, and even so, offering it to all nations, all people, not just the Jews. That's what all of this is about.
So in a very real way, the focus of this text in Acts chapter 15 is verses 16 through 18. This quote from the book of Amos. That salvation is not just for Israel, it's for the world. In Christ, we reclaim enemy-occupied territory. That's what I've kind of called this message this morning. We just got through singing, this is my father's world. This is my father's world, oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world, the battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be won. We like to find hope in that. We like to find comfort in that. But when we look at this world around us, we wonder, how could this be God's world? This is our Father's world. How is that possible when everything we see is suffering and pain and deception? Well, this is his creation. He has made it all. We learn that in Genesis 1 and 2. We also learn in those passages that he has given this to us, to man, as our dominion. Even before the fall, the Lord gave Adam and Eve dominion, control, authority over creation. Keep the garden. Right? It was a covenant of obedience, or some people would call it a covenant of works. Keep this garden, and you may partake of anything in the garden. Anything in all of creation that you see is yours, except for one thing. You might imagine that it would be easy to stay away from one thing. There's so many things in this world right now that we are forbidden to touch, but yet we indulge very often. Right? I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about other stuff. But Adam and Eve were only forbidden one thing. And in their failure, we see some lessons that we should be very aware of. In order to get really out of a line with God, you just have to be wrong with one thing. So it behooves us. It is our duty. It is our responsibility to be faithful in all things, all his truth, all of his understanding, in order to keep our path straight and faithful before him. Let me also remind you that that covenant of obedience that was given to Adam and Eve, that was given to all mankind, has never been revoked. It still is in place. Just because they disobeyed does not, does not nullify that covenant. 
God still calls all men and women, all humanity, obey him. This big problem is we're all guilty of disobedience. Bear with me. I'm going to pull in a lot of loose cables and tie them all together, I hope. We've seen how in this chapter of Acts 15, there is this big argument, this big discussion over, I call it the law of Moses, and that's what it was entailed, but the scripture talks about circumcision, and we don't usually like to talk about it because we don't really understand it, and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. But you have to go back into some understanding in the Old Testament. We know that Adam and Eve were given a command of obedience, but that was not their first commandment. What was their first commandment that God gave them? Genesis 1, 26 through 28, when he created them, man and woman, male and female, his first commandment, be fruitful and multiply. Have a family. That was before their disobedience. Imagine what it would have been like had they not sinned. And every child born was born with an innate desire to love the Lord God freely. There would be no pain, there would be no sorrow, there would be no, probably no death. That would have been wonderful. But that didn't, that's not the way it played out. We all know that Adam and Eve sinned and all of their children were born in sin. And we are born in sin. When you move ahead in scripture to the account of Noah, after the flood, Noah's family saved on the ark. After they came off the ark together, God made a covenant with Noah again and said, same command, be fruitful and multiply. Have children. Replenish this world. But since Noah was a sinner, his children were sinners. Fast forward again in Scripture to the call of Abraham. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, To your seed, to your descendants, all the nations shall be blessed. And in Genesis 17, after Isaac was born, God initiated, I've made my promise to you. I will do this. But your signal, your sign, your response in faith to me is that your male children shall be circumcised. And we struggle with having some way to make a connection. What's that got to do with salvation? 
this idea of being fruitful and multiplying, having children, is a God-ordained blessing to all of us who believe. But for Adam, excuse me, but for Abraham and Sarah, his wife, I believe in a very practical sense he is putting a reminder between husband and wife that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. That even our children must believe by faith in the coming Messiah. That's why it was so important. That's why these men from Judea came down thinking it was so important. But in Christ Jesus, all of that requirement had been fulfilled. Now all people had to do for salvation was trust in what Christ had given. So as we look at this together, we see how man is created in the image of God, and yet man sinned and failed. And this is our Father's world, and yet because of everything that man does, since it's our dominion, everything that we sow, we also reap. If we sow seeds of sorrow, we reap fruit of sorrow. If we sow re seeds of violence, we sow fruit of violence. It's all under God's authority. It's not that he has stepped back and taken his hands out of control of anything. It is that he has ordained this to be our doing because we were supposed to make of this a glorious place for us and to give him praise and we've turned it into a place of death and dying. Under his decree, his sovereign authority, we continue to reap more pain and more suffering. Our task is to be faithful to the Lord. Our task is to be faithful to his word. Our task is to reclaim occupied territory, enemy-occupied territory. I've not seen it yet, but I recently saw a preview of of a film that was made about World War II. And this woman was giving her testimony of this preview. It's a documentary. They had black and white film of this woman who lived, I'm wanting to say Denmark. I don't remember specifically, but it was one of the, one of the countries that Germany occupied during World War II. And she said that when they came into our village, it was just four Germans on two motorcycles with sidecars. 
and everything changed once they got there. It wasn't an army. It wasn't a platoon. It wasn't a platoon. It was just four Germans. And then all of a sudden, all of the people whom we thought were friends turned against us. Their town, their country became enemy-occupied territory. When we let sin control our life, we need to know that we are being controlled by the enemy. When we let theological error control our judgment in the church, we need to know that the enemy is within our ranks. And the apostles in the early church seemed such a minute little detail. But it wasn't. They were being faithful to the, to the message of God's grace, to the grace that Christ has given, to his promise to us. And that this gospel, this message, this grace, this mercy, this love was to be ex expressed to all people. How was creation of God overthrown? I believe one lie, one error. One point. They doubted God one time. How are we to reclaim enemy-occupied territory? Believe specifically what Christ has done for us and what he has taught us and what he teaches us and what he calls us to do. Has the world been faithful? The world has not been faithful. Has the church been faithful? No, not much. Over the years, the church has not been very faithful. First, we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil. Then we promote evil. Then we celebrate evil. Then we persecute those who still call it evil. That's the progress the world sees when it handles error or wrong or sin or evil. We overlook it. People commit it. No skin off my back. Live and let live. Let them do whatever they want. Then we permit it. Then we legalize it. You know, we can tax that and get some good revenue. Then we promote it. Let's put it on television. Let's put it up on billboards. Let's advertise it and get people to come to the big city where most of it is... Pre what happens here stays here. Then we celebrate it. And it, believe it or not, it's gotten to the place where we persecute those who still call it evil. Persecution is coming to the church because the faithful in the church are beginning to say, this should not happen. The apostles were being faithful to the word of God's grace. And there were others who thought it best to follow the law of Moses, as we saw last week.
and where the church still sees or still teaches error is heartbreaking. Nearby here, you can see a billboard with a Bible verse. Trying to encourage people to attend this particular church. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. If you take it out of context, you're going to find a lot of error with it because there are many churches who twist it and pervert it. The full life that we have in Christ Jesus is a promise of eternal life with him. It is not a full life of comfort and ease and wealth and bounty here. He never promised that. If you promise that, then it must be a universal promise to all of the church around the world. And there are so many people who have claimed the name of Christ and have lived the name of Christ and died for the name of Christ, who have suffered for Christ. Where was their promise ever fulfilled? We need to be very careful what we do with these promises that some churches teach us. If we're wrong in one point of scriptural truth, by the time we get 10 years down the road, we can be so far off, we wouldn't even look like a church anymore. The second thing, if we're going to be faithful to the Lord, we need to expect resistance. We need to see that it is coming. We need to expect it to happen. And we need to be ready to endure it. We've seen in the early church, Paul and Barnabas being persecuted. Paul had already been nearly beaten to death for being faithful to the word of God. You and I have seen some very surprising things in America. And I can testify from what I've read and a little researching, little reading I've done and research I've looked up, it's far worse outside of the United States. It's far worse in Canada. It's far worse in Australia. It's far worse in Europe. The church is being shut down, it's being silenced, it's being limited. But here is the amazing, the amazing thing, the faithful believers still want to gather for worship. That encourages me, it just makes me want to cheer when I hear of it. I want to be very careful not to let too much out, since this is going out on the internet. I've been asked to, in Presbyterian polity, politics, the way Presbyterian government works, a church must have a session or a governing body of elders for their congregation. 
to interview and receive members when they come for membership of the church. I have been asked, along with five other men, friends of mine in ministry, to serve as elders as a session for a mission church in another country. They are meeting in a barn because this other country won't let them meet. And I got an email from their pastor the other day. We need to schedule a meeting soon online because we have some people who want to join the church. They are growing under persecution. Do we see that in America? Do we see that in Cameron? Do we see that at Countryside? Do we have to endure more persecution in order to see the church grow? When I see things like that, I am encouraged in my heart and in my spirit, and I long to see it in America. But I, there are still churches who closed their doors last spring of 2020 and have still yet to start meeting again. That should not be. That should not be. We need to be faithful to the Lord. I've written a transcription. I saw a clip by Paul Washer. This was recorded 13 years ago. If ever there was a prophet, he's very close to one. This is what he said. The church in America is going to suffer so terribly. We laugh now, but there will come, they will come after us, and they will come after, your, after our children. They will close the net around us while we play soccer mom and soccer dad, while we argue over so many little things and become mesmerized by so many trinkets. The net, even now, is closing around you and your children and grandchildren, and it does not cause you to fear. You will be isolated from society, as has already happened. Anyone who... Anyone who runs for office who is actually a believer will be considered a lunatic, until finally we all are silenced. We will be called things we are not and persecuted, not for being followers of Christ, but for being radical fundamentalists who do not know the true way of Christ, which of course is love and tolerance. We will be considered the greatest bigots and haters of mankind in history. Little by little, the net is closing around us, but it's not really so little. Observe how quickly things have been going downhill in just a matter of weeks. At the same time, persecution is perceived as something evil, but 
God always means it for good. Is it not better to suffer a little while in this life in order to receive a greater glory for eternity? You must settle this in your mind. Do not misunderstand persecution and martyrdom. Through history, we know of many who were martyred for their sincere faith in Jesus Christ. That was the real reason, but no one heard that publicly. When the saints were martyred for Christ, as we study them in history, they were persecuted and martyred as enemies of the state. And he said this 13 years ago. And we see it coming through true today. We are being persecuted. We are being limited. We are being silenced. Brothers and sisters, we need to be praying we need to be faithful as Paul and Barnabas and the apostles were faithful. We need to be accurate with our scripture, with our theology, and we need to be strong. We need to encourage one another in love and in prayer and in teaching. Shall we pray? Father, in you we look always for our hope and our guidance and our help. And we pray this morning that you may speak to our hearts and our minds, convict us of sin that is unforsaken. Encourage us in teaching us truth. Give us strength to live faithfully for you. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in reclaiming enemy-occupied territory. May we follow you faithfully in all that we do. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.